This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to George Turcotte, who just signed up this week to support us on Patreon, and to David Mercurio Rivera, who just made a very generous contribution to the show via PayPal. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 463 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be reviewing the HBO series Avenue 5, a science fiction comedy about a cruise ship in space. And this will include spoilers for all of season one, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got our producer, John Joseph Adams. He's the editor of Lightspeed Magazine and the series editor of the best American science fiction and fantasy. And he's also edited more than 30 other anthologies. His latest project is the three-volume dystopia triptych, Ignorance is Strength, Burn the Ashes, and Or Else the Light. So, John, welcome back. Always good to be here. And I promise this is my real accent. (laughs) The next up, we've got Erin Lindsay, making her 30th appearance on the show. She's the author of the Bloodbound series of epic fantasy novels and the Nicholas Lenoir series of paranormal detective novels, which she writes under the name E.L. Tetensor, The Silver Shooter, the latest novel in her Rose Gallagher series of historical mysteries is out now. So, Erin, welcome to the show. Thanks, as always, for having me. And also joining us today is Tom Gerenser, making his 16th appearance on the show. His short fiction appears in magazines such as Realms of Fantasy and in books such as New Voices in Science Fiction. His nonfiction book, Think Like Google, is out now. And his new book, How It's Made, written for the Discovery Channel, will be out in December. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Great to be here. All right, so let's start off with John and have you tell us about your expectations going into Avenue 5. Uh, well, I had uh, I had decent expectations for it because uh, I'd watched, uh, I think by the time I saw this, every episode of Veep, you know, and so this was created by the creator of Veep. Um, and so, you know, I, I loved Veep, and so I was really looking forward to seeing what they did with the science fiction show. Uh, plus, it sounded very Douglas Adams-esque, uh, so I had I had pretty high expectations. So I've never watched Veep, but how, when you say you watched every episode, that's a lot of episodes, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I think it ran for seven seasons, but they were like those short HBO seasons. So it was like, I don't know, 10 or 12 or 14 episodes or something like that each season. But I mean, yeah, it's a pretty large number, though. Uh-huh. And is this, this is a pretty similar style of humor to Veep? Um, no, it's no. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> like it's it's much broader on, on Avenue 5, uh, more uh, sort of... Uh, sort of zany i guess um i mean there's a little bit of a similarity in like the some of the meanness uh because like veep has a lot of mean humor <laughs> um dark and, humor and too yeah yeah and so some of that kind of crosses over but um but yeah it's, it's it's fairly different so so aaron you say you've seen veep as well it sounds like oh yeah Veep. Have you seen every episode? I have not seen every episode, um, but you know it's kind of it's a, always been a catch as catch can thing for me. But I've I've enjoyed every episode I've watched, and some of them are some of the funniest things ever on television, in my opinion. 
so did you have any other expectations about um, Avenue 5 based on the cast or anything else? Um, yes, I'm a huge Hugh Laurie fan. Um, I'm a fan of his dramatic work. I'm a fan of his comedic work. Um, and so I, I really also had, I would say my expectations fluctuated a little bit. I had really high expectations when I saw the concept. I, I can't remember where I saw an article about it or something and saw the cast members and the, and the concept and thought this is going to be amazing. Um, and then my expectations were dashed when I started <laughs> reading some of the early reviews. And then they were kind of boosted again by you saying you were doing this show because I thought, well, that's an encouraging sign. Like somebody has watched this and, and thought that that it was worth doing a show about. So uh, they kind of fluctuated, I would <laughs> say, going into it. Well, this is all – I hadn't seen the show before, when, when I contacted you. John had recommended right. it. So all blame and or <laughs> uh, credit goes to John uh, on oh, this one. And I have to say for as far as the, the expectations fluctuating everything, like I – I, I didn't know anything about the reception of the show when I watched it. Um, I, I think maybe I was watching it right as it was airing. Um, but uh, I did hear, uh, you know, some of the negative reviews and stuff um, as it was, you know, as it was airing. I mean, I, I didn't go out seeking them, but, you know, being a person who pays attention to science fiction media, you know, obviously I couldn't avoid it completely. Uh, so I could totally see, you know, expectations being dashed by those things because, yeah, there was a lot of negative reception. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll also say I'd never seen Hugh Laurie in anything because, uh, you know, I, I never watched House because I don't watch, as John knows, I don't watch any <laughs> cop, doctor, or, or lawyer shows. Um, <laughs> That's like 90% of shows. <laughs> yeah, so I don't watch 90% of shows. And um, I guess you like the, the you guy You never Matt watched from... Blackadder? No. Really? Um, and I know that the guy Matt is from Silicon Valley, which I, in principle I would watch, but I never have. <laughs> Um, so I, oh, I did recognize Neelix from, uh, Voyager. <laughs> um, but that's, He'll always uh, that's be a, Neelix. it's a bit of a deep cut there, but, uh, how about Tom, what were your expectations going into the Avenue five? Yeah, I had zero expectations. I didn't know anything about it. I'd never heard of it. Uh, I missed avenues one through four, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, kind of like Ted Nugent wondering what happened to COVID's one through 18. Uh, <laughs> I I also am a huge Hugh Laurie fan, but I didn't know he was going to be in it until I started watching it, and I was like, "Oh, cool!" And uh, and I was like, "Oh no, he has an American accent again, like he did." In the <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh, good, he doesn't." But uh, in between there, I was like, "What is he doing? Is he, he can't be like losing it, Kenny?" But oh, we uh, have to talk about this more later. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But I but I also am a a fan of uh, the actor who plays R-rated Olaf in this. Uh, Josh Gad, and I didn't know he was going to be in it. And I, uh, Aaron, <laughs> like you, I was a, I was a big, uh, big Black Adder fan as well. I actually lived in London for a year while it was while it was a thing, while it was showing, and got to like it there, and then carried that home and watched it at home. So yeah, big Hugh Laurie fan. Once, but no expectations going into it whatsoever. I just Dave said, "Here, watch this," and I was like, "Oh, what's this?" And you you hadn't like heard of it, heard anything about it, or heard of any uh, reviews or anything like that. No, I had heard absolutely nothing about it. Yeah, um, I don't know that I, I definitely remember you know that it came out that it was a science fiction show, but I don't know if I'd even heard, I don't think I'd heard any of the reviews or anything. I don't I didn't even look it up on um, Rotten Tomatoes or anything before I started watching it. So I was going into it really with no uh, no particular expectations. Um, you know, you know, I think uh, a big part of the problem of the show maybe 
reaching as wide an audience or at least among science fiction people as you might expect for you know a big uh show on hbo with a good cast and with a like sort of notable creator it's like it's called avenue five like why does they call it that it doesn't mean anything it's like in the show they you know, it makes some sense why they call it the the ship that, but uh, but I mean, like as a name of a science fiction show, it's like it doesn't sound like a science fiction show. Also, you can't Google that shit. Like, <laughs> well, well, John, maybe they're maybe they're t- doing a play off of uh, Serenity. I mean, when I first heard of that, I was like, what's that? Some kind of old person's undergarment? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean. Hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, I yeah, like I was I, tr- I forget what it was, but I Googled like something Avenue five and it came up with all these results for fifth, you know, involving Fifth Avenue in New mm-hmm. York City. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree that that's that could be an issue. So I was just going to speculate that it's like a kind of um, there, there's the Babylon five. Maybe oh. is where the five comes from. Ah. Um, what, what it made me think of was Avenue Q. Yes. I don't know if you. I was just going to say saying? that. Yeah, it's exactly. like a cross of, a- of Avenue Q with Babylon 5. <laughs> yeah. Which sounds like a better idea than it is. <laughs> right. No, that would be a great idea. Like space <laughs> space, uh, space, space drama with Muppets. Yeah, yeah. because if you don't know what Avenue Q is, it's a, a, a off-Broadway off or on-Broadway show, Aaron? On-Broadway, I think. On-Broadway show I'm where sure they just Broadway. have... They have basically R-rated Muppets, and it's and it's fantastic because it's like Bert and Ernie, how Bert and Ernie would be if they were in the real world, and it's like it's like all the different characters on Sesame Street, how they would really be if they were like Cookie Monster. What was he like? The the, the Cookie Monster stand-in was like basically a drug addict or something. Always like <laughs> I never instead saw of being it. like Cookie, Cookie, oh, you never saw it was fantastic. <laughs> no. it, was, it was so I, funny. I should see it though. I think it would be right up my alley. Like mm. if you if you grew up especially on Fraggle Rock and just found that whole thing slightly acid based to begin with, yep. <laughs> the, the concept of of turning that into a comedy is it's yeah it's a great premise. Yeah, yeah, and so you've probably or many people listening have probably heard the song "The Internet Is for Porn." <laughs> yeah, that comes from yes. Avenue Q. Yeah. Um, and, um, I don't know if there's actually any connection, but I, when I was uh, listening to interviews and stuff, a lot of the people involved in this, this show, Avenue five have, um, theater and, uh, improv and stuff backgrounds. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if that was in uh, somebody's head, um, somewhere. I mean, that's a, that's a believable enough theory that if you just said that to me straight without like, you know, parsing it as like oh this is just a theory like if you just told me that that's what the creator said i would have believed you (laughs) you know that makes sense i'm an excellent Uh, liar (laughs) (laughs) you Um, do not want to take me at balderdash (laughs) (laughs) um but so i know that john uh, overall likes this show because he uh, recommended that we watch it uh, at least I, I hope he, he does. It wasn't just intended. He, he hates us and wants to punish yeah. us or something. But, um, <laughs> but um, so, so Aaron, so you had, you, you said you had all these fluctuating expectations. So kind of what mm. were your um, initial reactions when you started actually watching the show? Um, I think, you know, I was really excited about the premise and uh, toward the end of the season, I felt like, uh, this okay wait wait, is, wait 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 just hang Don't on get into the end it of this makes, end of this it make, just makes sense i'm just gonna draw a little loop for you here i, I came back to feeling uh more positive about it than i had at the beginning um but the, those first few episodes um i i i was overall fairly disappointed i think because um I, it's just a style of humor that i don't tend to connect with i found it very blunt um and 
kind of they overplayed their hand on virtually every joke. Um, and I was looking for, you know, Veep has a, it's a sort of got a frenetic pace that I appreciate, but it, there's also a really good mixture of extremely subtle, nuanced humor, clever humor, and then with with a few sort of more um, bombastic things thrown, absurdist things thrown in there. And I was kind of expecting that approach. And so maybe that, you know, that frame, if I hadn't known that it was um, from the creator of Veep, maybe that would have helped because I wouldn't have been looking for um, a, a spirit that I wasn't getting out of it. But, you know, overall, I, I, I struggled with it, I will say. Okay. Um, Actually, maybe since yeah. you mentioned the premise, maybe I should just set up the premise. So I said it's, it's a cruise ship in space. And so Hugh Laurie is the captain, quote unquote. <laughs> um, but it turns and this is a ship. It's, it's like a cruise ship going around on an eight week trip around Saturn and back. And so, um, and so, yeah, so Hugh Laurie is the captain, but it turns out that he's just an actor who's been hired because the, the guy who really runs the ship is this guy, Joe, who hates interacting with an, anyone. And so he, he's hired Hugh Laurie to, to be the sort of charismatic captain so that he, he doesn't have to deal with people. Um, also aboard, I mean, there's a lot of different passengers, but I'll also just mention that the owner of the, 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 there's this guy, Judd, who's a billionaire and it's, he owns the ship. Um, and um and so let's let's just yeah. start with 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 that um but so so john when you first watched this show were you what did you think of the first couple episodes uh yeah i actually love it uh i i loved it from the start i loved it all the way through um i i i was really surprised actually when i saw the the negative uh comments uh online and stuff and like including um including including people like uh saying like it, it spits in the eye of douglas adams uh and i was like huh like I kind of, I kind of, I kind of felt like Douglas Adams would love this show, yeah. um, but um, you know, I, I saw all kinds of negative comments, and it was really surprising wait, to me. Could you just wait? Sorry, just ex- why does why were people saying that? The, like this doesn't have any right official connection to Douglas Adams, right? right? No, but, but but because a lot, I I don't know if a lot of people are uh, uh, comparing it to like feeling like a Douglas Adams, you know, sort of thing uh but i think i did uh like on twitter so maybe it was just somebody saying that to me on twitter but um i uh you know because i i I watched it and i loved it and i was like recommending it and and somebody else who had seen it made that comment uh you know that uh it was like an an insult to douglas adams whereas i was saying like you know if you love douglas adams you would probably love this (laughs) so anyway so so so, so Tom, did you feel that this spit in the eye and or <laughs> other body part of Douglas Adams? Well, it spits all over the place, but I don't think it hit Douglas Adams with any of it. I, I think it was, <laughs> uh, I thought it was very entertaining. Um, no, as a, as a huge Douglas Adams fan, I didn't feel like this, you know, ripped him off in any way. I felt like it was in sort of the same spirit, but it certainly didn't, you know, try to ape any of his, uh, any of his little techniques or anything like that, or it it was just really, I thought it was very clever. I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it could have, if I had one criticism of it, I I felt like the characters were lacking depth. Uh, You know, I felt like there there could have been a little bit more realism to the characters and it would have helped the humor. I I usually feel like, you know, there's like a difference between you can, you can kind of tell, and I'll point this gun right at myself, but you can kind of tell when a writer is just, has thought of a funny line in the shower and wrote it down somewhere. I was like, I got to work this into a script. Hmm. And when it actually, the humor is actually coming out of a character's emotions and, and empathizing with the character, there's a big difference. 
And I felt like that writer's room for Avenue Q would have been a lot of fun to be in. I, I, I imagine they just had You like, mean Avenue 5, right? Avenue 5, pardon me. Either one. Yeah. But Avenue 5 <laughs> s- certainly would have, would have been a lot of fun to be part of. Um, mm-hmm. I, I heard a quote recently like the, the, the writer's room must have used up a considerable quantity of meth. I don't know if that was directed <laughs> at Avenue 5 or at something else I watched recently. But um, – but I did feel like it was just probably a really fun writer's room. I thought they had a lot of really funny lines that worked really well, but I felt like they were kind of in a lot of cases disembodied from um, any kind of internal character thing going on. But, but overall, like that's, that's my one criticism, but I would, I want to be careful to make sure that you know that that criticism is shrunk down quite a bit because I did enjoy the show immensely i i do really like seeing hugh laurie anytime he's on the screen doing anything <laughs> and i thought josh gad was phenomenal in this like i just absolutely you know I, when i first heard it like the first 30 seconds when i heard his voice i was like who is that and then i was like that's olaf from frozen that's the the obse- <laughs> that's the obsequious guy from beauty and the beast like i, I love that guy's voice and I've never seen him before. So when I was watching him, I was like, oh, okay. And then, but then he did such a phenomenal job. Like anytime he was on the screen as well, I was just like, this guy is hilarious. Like this whole, like his whole like mannerism, the way he, his delivery, everything was perfect. I loved the, um, the cruise director, the, you know, the, 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 the inept and overly emotional cruise director or, or just like broken cruise director, internally broken cruise director was, was phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a bit raunchy at times and a bit, you know, it went over the top at times, but, uh, but it was fun. I, I had a good time watching it. I, I never was like, I got to sit down and watch another episode of this. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess my reaction was a little bit like Aaron. I mean, I, um, I, I, I thought the show was fun. Like, I think it's, it's strength is that it's funny. Like it's legitimately funny to me. I, I'm, I laugh pretty, uh, regularly, um, watching the episodes, but then kind of each episode, I, I sort of got to the end and I was like, oh, that was funny. And I didn't feel like super motivated to watch the next mm. one mm. Um, because, yeah, like like Tom's saying, I didn't feel like I cared that much what happened, like who the characters were or, or what happened to them. Um, and I have a lot more I could say about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess maybe I should also explain that. So the, the guy on the ship who actually runs everything dies in a weird accident. And so then all these people you know, have to sort of figure and, 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 and the ship is thrown off course. And so then all the people who are left behind are all sort of selfish and incompetent and, uh, you know, ab- abrasive. And, and they all have to kind of like figure out what to do or where yeah. <laughs> they should be figuring out what to do, but, but don't really. Hmm. Um, but, um, but yeah, so Aaron, Aaron, go ahead. You want to add something there? Well, I was just going to say, you know, just like listening to us talk about it, I'm struck again by how on paper all all the beats are there and it just it just never really worked for me and I think a big problem is what Tom said. I think a lot of the characters were a little bit too cartoonish or a lot too cartoonish. They just kind of overplayed their hand for me. There were a couple of standout characters. Um I found Josh Gad a little bit too off-brand Jack Black. Um it just <laughs> oh, yeah. it was like yeah. <laughs> it was just a little bit too familiar to me. That being said, um, when it was working, I think he had some of the funniest moments there. Um, I thought Zach Woods um, as Matt, the the customer relations guy, it was a, it was a kind of one of the more VP performances. I think of of the whole thing and one of the more VP characters, and maybe that's why I liked it. Um, I loved Iris. 
I just yes. watched the ir- Iris and Rav. I would watch all day long. Oh, um, Rav and Sarah. Is the, the, soup, the super harried <laughs> yeah. um, mission control woman back on Earth with hair that I, <laughs> I don't even know what to, to say about it. It's it's very Avenue Q. Um, Speaking and, of cartoonish, Iris, she looks like a cartoon <laughs> with that hair. That's what I mean. She kind of looks legit, looks like a Muppet with what they've yeah. done with the hair because the hair is just like this amazing shape. Um, it's very triangular. It's almost mad scientist hair. I, I I just appreciate it to hell and back. And then um, Iris, who's the very sort of what's caustic slash <laughs> emotionally stunted slash uh, hardworking um, assistant, personal assistant slash uh, slash everything for for Josh Gad's uh, billionaire character is is also great. Um, but I found a lot of the other characters really, really one note and silly, just silly. And it's too bad. Um, but I will say I wanted to give absolute incredible props to Hugh Laurie because the first few episodes. So if you haven't watched House, Dave, I kind of have a thing about accents. Um, I notice them a lot. I do accents. I'm I'm just kind of really into them. I think it's a I think it's a music thing. But anyway, so one of the things that always impressed me about Hugh Laurie is that in his however many jillions of seasons of House, you almost never, ever questioned that he was American. His American right. accent is amazing. And so these first couple of episodes, you have him running around playing an American captain. And my first question was, why? Exactly. And my second question is, why is he so bad at it? Has <laughs> he lost his touch? And then, of course, they explain it later that, in fact, so my point being, he totally sold it. He did yeah. a great job of a Brit doing an almost but not quite yeah. Perfect American accent. And it turns out that that's in fact what's going on, which I loved. I totally love yeah. that. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that too. Because, you know, like you, I mean, when I first saw House, I was like, who's that guy who plays him? He looks familiar. And then I looked him up on IMDb like you do. And I was like, oh, he's the guy from Blackadder. He's Hugh Laurie. I love this guy. But wait he's a minute. very isn't British. Br- <laughs> isn't he British? Yeah, I was like, wait. And then I thought about it. I was like, I know he's British because there's no way he started out in America and then moved over to England and adopted this perfect British accent and then moved back here. I was like, no, no, no. It doesn't work that way. And then I looked, I read about him and I was like, no, yeah, he's British. He just is phenomenal at doing an American accent to the point where I'm completely fooled. It's not just an American accent. It's a specific species of American accent. Yeah. That he obviously worked very, very hard to master. And like you said, I haven't watched every episode of House, but I probably watched like 15, 20 episodes. And I, and I'm, I, I love like one of the, my favorite things about the show is just listening to the nuance in his accent and being like, man, this guy just nails it. And then he's a musician, but anyways, that's my theory. (laughs) Well, I'm not a musician, but I love accents and I can do, you know, pretty good accents. I, I believe it's a musical thing. Maybe I was a musician in a past life, but, um, but he, when I started watching Avenue Five, yeah, I was like, at first, I was like, oh, Hugh Laurie, oh, and then I was like, oh no, he's doing another American accent because in my mind, British humor is just—I don't know why—it's just like three or four notches above American humor. I don't know why. Just something about an American, a British accent makes a line funnier, and I have no idea why that is. I just <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's just me, or maybe I don't know. But so I was kind of disappointed that he had this American accent. I was like, oh, that's too bad. He's funny, but he could be so much funnier if this was like a British accent. And then when he starts to lose his his American accent, I was like, 
wow, is he just like phoning this in? Is he just like, I'm just, I'm just done. I'm just over it. Like, and he does it in the most plausible way, right? Is when he's getting emotional and freaking out. Which exactly. Is exactly. When people can't do it right. Exactly when they lose it. That's like when my main, my main accent comes out is when I start getting irritated. You know, pe- people will be like, oh, that, I hear that main accent. Yeah. Well, hopefully but, uh, we'll hear that as this panel goes on. Yeah, more yeah. And more. Oh, Let's yeah, Bob. No problem, Bob. <laughs> But, uh, but anyway, so, so yeah, when he started losing it, I was like, oh no. And then when it came out that that was the plot, I was like, oh, now he's even more brilliant than I thought he was. Hmm. But All right. Well, let, let me, let me say kind of what my, my main issue is, is that I feel like the show kind of like Aaron was saying, like, there's no straight man in the show. And that seems like a basic enough kind of comedy. I mean, like all these people are such comedy experts that I can't believe that wasn't ever discussed. So it must be, it seems like it must be intentional, but I I really felt like the show needed, like it's sort of like, you can't tell is the captain, the main character or is um, Billy's who's sort of the chief engineer who's still alive, the main character. And neither of them, we don't really know anything about their backstory or like, you know, do, do we care if they get back to earth or anything like that? And, um, and also it just seems really weird to me that Hugh Laurie, the captain, he knows that he's fake, but he doesn't know that the rest of the bridge crew are all actors. (laughs) And it's like, why would I I just, I I, I can't imagine why that situation would have come about. And so like Billy seems like she might be the main character because she's the most, she's like the least absurd. Right. Um, But she's still like, she's keeping secrets and, you know, sort of loses her temper all the time. And so she's not like, I just feel like there should be one character who's kind of like normal and sincere and who we who we identify with and then like you know we see in their reactions to all the insanity going on around them um you know it, it seems insane there's like a contrast between the the absurdity and the non-absurdity where i feel like everything in this is absurd all the characters are absurd like everything yeah. all the scenes are absurd everything about the ship is absurd like so um uh, but i want to get john back in here so yeah. john do you want to um defend <laughs> defend any Anything there? Uh, I mean, you know, it's. I think it's just a matter of uh, to each his own sort of uh, some people are going to like what it's doing and some people don't or, or it doesn't work as well. Uh, I mean, for me, like the, the all absurd thing works great. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I, I wouldn't have said a lot of that same stuff that you got. I, I wouldn't have, uh, you know, criticized a lot of that same stuff you guys were talking about, like in terms of like character development and stuff. Like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I sort of project certain things and like fill in certain things as I'm watching shows. And so I don't, you know, perceive, uh, you know, character deficits as much. But I mean, like, I, I felt like they all, like, I, I felt like they all had a real identity and I, I did care about them. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. I just, it really works for me. Um, and, uh, you know, speaking of, um, the, the sort of Veep connection though, um, uh, you know, so, uh, the guy that plays Matt, he was also in Veep and he, he uttered my favorite line on Veep, which was your Frankenstein's monster. If his monster was made entirely of dead dicks, that he, <laughs> he just says that to somebody. Uh, and it was like, it was so hilarious to me when I heard it. I just like, I, I think I like rewatched it like, you know, five times. Uh, but, um, given that I love that line so much, it's like, you know, is it really a surprise that I loved Avenue Five? Um, but, but there was uh, nothing that funny in Avenue Five. Like that's a oh, that's a genuinely well, a funny line. No, no, I I meant well, okay. <laughs> I'm not saying there's nothing funny in the show. I'm saying that line is funnier yeah. than any than any one that I could pluck out of Avenue Five. 
Oh, I don't, I don't know. That's a funny line, but I don't know. I think I might have to disagree with you with you there on that one because there were some extremely funny lines in Avenue Five that just that I couldn't help laughing out loud on. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, so Matt, uh, for instance, he says uh, he's transformed the most disgusting thing imaginable into a kaleidoscope of butt truffles. That was pretty funny. <laughs> Maybe not on par with the other one, but <laughs> so much. Of, really you know, and honestly, like humor is such a personal thing. But for me, like most episodes had one or two laugh out loud lines a few smile crackers and a lot of groaners. And to the point where I actually thought, I thought two things. One, I thought the overall humor level was about on a par with a mediocre episode of whose line is it anyway. And I thought that, and it had that kind of almost not quite improv feel to it. So that's why I was kind of interested in Deus and a lot of them had improv backgrounds. Maybe that's it. But I also, it got to the point for me where the the running gag with the stand-up comedian who's never funny almost felt a bit meta. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, these crickets chirping in the room when he's delivering his jokes. That's kind of how a lot of it landed with me. I have to Hmm. be honest. Did you think, Aaron, that it got, because I thought it got better and better throughout the season. Did you feel that way or did it sort of stay at the same level for you? I I think it did get better, or at least that I became more accustomed to it. And I think that's why I became more optimistic about the show is I do think kind of two things happen with comedies in general. One is it takes the room a while to, to start breaking into its stride, you know, like the writing room. I mean, I, I think it sh- always takes shows a while to sort of settle into a comedy groove. And I also think there's a certain amount of priming of the audience that's required before the humor really starts to hum on your end as well. So in, you know, on the one hand, the writing maybe gets objectively better, but on the other hand, you start to understand the nuance and sort of, you can predict the beats a little bit better because a lot of comedy, of course, is about defying expectations or, or meeting expectations. There's, there's a lot of uh, kind of call and answer between the viewer and the writer and I think in order for that to work really well, you do need a certain level of experience with one another, if that makes sense. Well, it's interesting because I just this morning, I went back and rewatched the first three episodes and they were way better the second time. So I think it is, you know, I think there is just something about the um, the style of humor or the the characters or, or something that like once you kind of... It grows um, on you. Well, yeah, kind of once you kind of know what, like like you're talking about expectations, kind of like once you know what the show is, you know what to expect. I think you could, you enjoy it more. Um, uh, I mean, what Aaron was just saying about uh, the writer's room and stuff, uh, that has me really intrigued about uh, future seasons of Avenue 5, like if it can go for a while. I know it got renewed for a second season, but if it can go beyond that. Because like I, I, I was thinking about how like the U.S. version of The Office and Parks and Rec, uh, mm. those both ended up as two of my favorite comedies of all time. Like I love those shows. But the first seasons were not good. Um, and... I, I think the first season of Avenue five is way better than the first season, either of those. Um, and so if Avenue five, like <laughs> has any kind of uh, growth from season one to season two on par with what either of those shows did, which, you know, again, were run by similarly very talented teams. Uh, so it's, it's reasonable to expect that, um, that they could make such improvements. Um, I mean, I think that could be amazing. Uh, although, like I said, I already, I already love the show. And um, as, as far as the bingeability of it and stuff like, you know, Christy and I, we were, we were gobbling it up. Like we watched three, four episodes a night. Uh, so, I mean, 
you know, basically got through it in two nights. So, well, I, I feel like in season two they're going to have to have a story, and there's like not really a story in season one. You go and look at the um, episode synopses, and they're like, I've never seen such short, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, like episode synopses, and um, you know, I just feel like there there needs to be some sort of like mystery on the ship, you know, like or, you know, like something where you're like wondering what's going to happen next. It's like like the structure right now. It really reminds me of like Gilligan's Islands, where Every episode, you know, there's some hope that they're going to get back sooner than they thought, and then something goes wrong, and then it turns out it's going to be longer than they thought, and it's just kind of like that over and over again. So, yeah, um, yeah, I agree. I agree, and I wonder about the, uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of churning on all this stuff you said about straight man and and uh, uh, just the way there's there's not really much of a of a plot here, but I think uh, I, I'm trying to think. First of all, did does anybody know? Did Black Adder was was Rowan Atkinson the straight man or was he another goofy character? It's hard, hard for me to, I mean, it he kind of was have a... varied from one season to the next, because as you may remember, Blackadder is set in like, there are different, different. Blackadders. Yeah. You know, so it might've varied, but the Blackadder that I remember the best is, which is the world war one, when he's definitely the straight man. Cause he's, he's the one who's like really irritated with all the idiocy going on around him. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder, but then you think of like shows, like really successful comedy shows, like The Office. You were just talking about John, and uh, that show doesn't have a straight man. Oh, I suppose it does, right? It has John sure, Krasinski. John Krasinski. <laughs> yeah, but he's not like the center, the central character so much. He he kind of is like there to be like these people are idiots. But but the show is very much about all the different characters, isn't it? Like they don't all hinge back to him every time, do they? Right. So I wonder if this show could succeed quite a bit more by kind of focusing on that. I, I thought for me, some of the funniest moments in the show were around a character they killed, which I was so irritated when she died was Sarah, the the <laughs> person from the blonde woman from the bridge who she always, she was like, look, no, it doesn't do anything. I just move my hand around. She was, she just cracks me up. I don't know who she is, but she, every time she was on the screen, I I could not help laughing and I was so irritated when her character died because I was like, no, you, that's like the best. That was the most, that was the time when I felt like I was watching The Office whenever it was on her because I was like, she is, she is one character who definitely has something deep going on inside her that is, that is also very funny. That I was like, I was wishing that more of the other characters would be more like that, like The Office, like they explore each character and, and then they start pitting them against each other where they, you know, like where if Judd, Judd always seems to kind of have his teeth pulled, like he he he's crazy and he's in charge, but they always seem to be able to just kind of like, oh, well, we're going to just walk him back somehow. We'll just get around him really easily. It would be, I think, a lot funnier if he actually started to get his way on a lot of these things and started like becoming a real source of conflict in the show. And, and other characters did, too, like trying to do their own things and kind of messing everybody else up. And working at odds against each other, um, like you see in The Office, you know, where like Dwight suddenly decides he's going to, you know, do something crazy. I, I can't think of a specific instance, but there's lots of them where he, he suddenly decides he's going to, you know, do something crazy and he starts making it happen. And he's like wrecking everybody's life for several episodes. Um, I just feel like there, there could have been more of that. But just one more thing I want to say before we completely move on was, uh, Aaron, you had said there's no real funny lines. And there, here's one by Matt. In uh, the final episode, he says, "Every year we pass the pre-anniversary of our death, but we don't, but we don't know it. So there's no presents." <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, just the, I, I when like you're that talking. When you're talking, so just this morning, I said I, I watched the when Sarah's pretty. I think it's pretty much when she's introduced. She, you know, like they're like this, like everything's gone wrong. They're like all going to die and everything, you know. And she's like, um, I just want to say that I've been in character for four weeks, and it's been a real artistic challenge. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, yeah, I love that line. <laughs> and then her, um, she's like, her her real name is also Sarah, right? So they're always like asking you her like, are you in character? She's like, well, right now I'm Sarah. <laughs> but I, I don't remember the exact line, so I can't. Be, I, and I could never be as funny as she is. She's just hilarious. There's a part where she says to Hugh Laurie, she's like, "Because I, because I fancy you." And he's like, "Are you saying that as Sarah or as Sarah?" And she's like, "I'm not sure." Oh yeah. <laughs> no, there was there was a lot of like I said, there was a lot of funny stuff in the show. And I, the, when you when you said you were so angry they killed off a character, I thought you were going to say Harrison because um, oh, he shows up. Which one was he's he? Still like extremely aggressive rich black british guy in oh kind yeah of bathrobe yeah and like i, I liked him because like you know most of the rest of the characters are kind of like incompetent and hopeless and and everything and he's just like really like a force of nature yeah and it was just so much fun watching him and then he dies like after two episodes and i, I was like no but uh <laughs> yeah that, that was a bit that was a bit of a waste uh, but speaking of which, that with that whole sequence with uh, where the people start dying, it's like, whoa, that got like real dark, guys. Uh, you know, because like a lot of people just like just die because they're idiots. Uh, and uh, well, I mean, yeah, it got real dark, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought it was very funny. I thought it was very dark, but I still thought it was very funny. Oh yeah, no, no. I mean, it, it definitely works, but. What, well, no, like like I was saying to Aaron, I mean, I thought the last two episodes like really were yeah, like like the second to last episode I thought was hilarious, and then mm-hmm. the last episode like totally like messed with my head. Like <laughs> I like felt like so weird after after watching the finale. Um, but I, why, I, I why is that? Like the, why? What you, do you want to talk about more about that? Like why? Why do you, I don't know? Do it it just that? like messed with my sense of reality so much. Like. <laughs> um, you know, uh, you know, it's like it's like this, like, wait, am I awake or am I dreaming kind of feeling <laughs> after watching it? But like, no, but this the second to last episode, I thought was that was where the show really, really started working for me. I mean, there were like bits and pieces like before that, like like there's the scene um, of the this, of the and, dead bodies. You mean bits and pieces? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As they shatter. Well, like there's the like the, there's this scene like with the captain's table, which I think is in episode like seven or something, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 he's just like he's trying to make small talk, and there's like Doug. At, off of the other table and, and he's like doug do you want to join us and doug's like no i'm good here and then the captain's trying to make small talk and doug's like oh there's some real great a conversation happening at the captain's table <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh yeah and, and like at that scene i was like okay this is like i'm really like really laughing out loud at this and then in the so what happens in the second to last episode is there's like so many things about this ship that are so like cheesy and fake and everything that the crew becomes convinced that they're or, or sorry, the um, the passengers become convinced that they're in a reality TV show, and they're all like, "Oh, if we just walk out the airlock, uh, we can just, you know, we'll be in like Burbank or something. <laughs> we just go Earth. home." And, uh, and I like, and then, I like, like the woman that's like constantly explaining what VFX is. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, uh, wait, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, and then Matt gets up and he's like. You know, the captain's like, Matt, who's the, you know, passenger liaison kind of guy, he's like, you know, deal with this. And Matt's like, okay, this is a simulation, but it's just because the universe is a simulation. And he goes yeah. up on this whole thing. Like, I don't know, Aaron, you didn't you didn't think that that second to last episode was like taking it up a notch? <laughs> 
no. I, I did. I mean, I, a- I appreciated the la- the latter episodes more than the former episodes. And I don't want to give the impression that I never found the show funny. I did find it funny. I just think it could be a lot funnier. Um, and, and I think it could be a lot more subtle. I would like, for me, it's, um, it doesn't matter how much I like the flavor. I want more than one flavor. And I just felt like all the jokes were almost all the same flavor. And, and as I said, when I was just discussing Veep, it's the interplay between the really subtle humor and then the, the really kind of zany or over the top stuff that, that makes each of those more appreciable on their own terms. So I just like, there were just, there was just way too many shit jokes. Like shit jokes work when shit jokes are used sparingly. Although, can I just say that there were a lot of missed opportunities for what they refer to, to the, to the shit ring that floats around around the ship. A lot of missed opportunities there. But anyways. Well let me let me just explain that. So yeah, so the ship and, and apparently um I think the, it's obvious, um, Dave. <laughs> Doesn't the, the require creator, any explanation. Well no no this is interesting though because the creator of the show, uh, Armando uh Iannucci, uh, I listened to an interview with him and he said he went around to like JPL and SpaceX and and stuff and talked to rocket scientists and things. And so we actually got this idea from one of them where they said like, oh, yeah, we use human feces or like, hmm. you know, we would use human feces as radiation shielding because it works better than metal. Hmm. And um, and so what happens in the show is that, you know, like one of the pipes springs a leak. And so then it's venting feces out into into outer space. And then it sort of like gets caught in the ship's gravity and, and forms a ring around the ship. Uh, actually, one of the, the the stand-up comedian, one of his lines I really liked is when he comes out comes out and says, "I see a lot of feces in the audience tonight. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of familiar feces in the audience." Tonight. Yeah, yeah, that was um, good. Uh, you know, speaking of 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 the you know him, the the creator talking to people at JPL and stuff. Uh, I mean, I have to say, like as a science fiction editor who has picked apart a lot of different stories for like you know something not being feasible and stuff. Like in a show like this, I, I would have. Feasible, yes. Boy. Wow! Wow! Well, you know, when in Rome. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> applause, applause. Um, but so, uh, you know, I, I honestly was expecting to find a lot of things that would like aggravate me on science fiction from a science fiction standpoint. But I mean, it, the show. I don't really think I can't think of anything offhand that like. I felt like, oh, that's just stupid. There's just, that's just completely wrong or whatever. It's like I, I mean, I can't. I can't like I'm not a scientist, so I can't pick it apart on that level. But I mean, it's like it all works well enough. It all seems uh, pretty believable in terms of like the various stuff that they do. Um, and uh, and of course, I definitely believe in the incredible stupidity of the human race. So so that part really uh, sank. Yeah, me. that that tracks. Actually, actually, let me let me say, John. So actually, another thing, uh, this guy Armando Ainucci uh, said is that um, you know that they they just kind of like when 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 the uh, stuff is. Um, orbiting the ship like the coffins and everything mm-hmm. that they didn't really like sit down and do the math for that mm-hmm. but he says that um a scientist who's like the science consultant for star trek after the show came out sat, sat down and like spent a day doing all the calculations and said it was about right hmm. you know what you see in the show <laughs> so that's awesome that's cool i did think it was a little strange that it that it took that if it if all it takes to to push them forward from a, a three month or three year trajectory back to Earth to a six month trajectory, is um jettisoning some stuff out of the 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 rear airlock, it kind of feels strange to me that none of the engineers, well, all two of them, thought of <laughs> that for the first seven episodes or whatever <laughs> it was. 
You know, like they, they have it so that, so no, that Billy, that. Billy watches yeah. the captain push himself away from the captain's table and his chair falls over backwards. And she's like, oh, yeah, Newtonian hmm. physics. Right. <laughs> right. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> anyway. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, so it's not that the uh, physics of it are implausible. It's that somebody who's an engineer mm-hmm. would, would have that remedial of an understanding of it. That part is implausible. Yeah. I mean, let's that's face fair. it. There's a lot that's implausible, like the fact that there's only one person on the entire ship who knows how to run it. Right. That is, yeah. I hope, I hope implausible. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, if everything's automated in the future, maybe, maybe that would be plausible. But they didn't really play that angle up very much. But you, um, you mentioned episode eight, Dave. There was, and since we're talking about that, there's, you know, questioning whether, how many funny lines there are in this. There's one where uh, I can't remember which character delivers this line, but that somebody's drinking a Bloody Mary and somebody else says it's a small drink named after a woman who liked to set Protestants on fire. <laughs> <laughs> that was Matt again. Was that yeah, Matt? Was Matt? Yeah. Matt had yeah. most of the good lines. He gets I, yeah. all the best ones, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, him and, and, and Iris also, I feel, again, another plug for Iris. <laughs> yeah, that part where they, they find him outside the um, the vending machine – and Hugh Laurie's like, what's the void? Because they thought he was going to kill himself. And he's like, my empty stomach. <laughs> that cracked me up. Um, all right. But before we get too far away from the um, the science fiction, I, I have a list here of sort of things we learn about this future world on Earth, which is actually pretty interesting. Um, so uh, the moon has been turned into a massive jail. Uh, the Pacific has gone toxic. Cows have died out. Uh, there was a, I don't know how to pronounce this, Huawei Wars. It's apparently some big Chinese telecom company that people are concerned might, you know, have um, spy software. Oh, you're talking uh, about, in their... oh yeah, Huawei. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, the captain, it, it's apparently normal to have three person marriages. And then when that splits up, you get divorced. <laughs> um, somebody says at one point, do you remember the phones that you had to plug in, you know, implying that they have a wireless um electricity transfer uh oh and also the white house has been moved to buffalo new york and there's like some sort of ai co-president <laughs> that was one of my favorite oh, yeah. bits yeah in the that whole was thing. hilarious like that was that was to me legit funny was the fact that there were i couldn't understand though why why everybody in the white house was in their civvies anyways uh, everybody was like super casual friday <laughs> right. at the white house yeah um, it looks like a bus then, yeah, it looks like a bus station waiting area well, yeah basically well, see, and see it's because uh I, I assumed it was like uh that was like the super liberal uh president uh so very very relaxed uh, about uh you know those sorts of uh, formalities and then on the other side was probably the conservative side and that's where they have the the you know strictly computerized uh thing that's just going to uh, you know the the ai that's just going to rule with an iron fist basically and not really care about you know human lives or whatever it's basically mm-hmm. alexa and so when yeah, when yeah. <laughs> in there to, to 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 beg for the money that she needs to to do the rescue the the ai suggests that they jettison 500 non-essential passengers or personnel and she she points out that this might be unethical <laughs> and you know the alexa president is like Thank you for forwarding your inquiry to ethics department. Yeah. <laughs> I liked that. That was good. Yeah, that was funny. I, I mean, I guess I didn't really think about it, but I mean, I think that um, Washington, D.C. is very, very low. So if sea levels rise, uh, they might that, that might be why they need to relocate the 
um, capital. Dave, did else. you did you mention? Sorry, I, I think I cut out on the on the Wi-Fi there for a second. But did you mention the the fires in Philadelphia? <laughs> no, I, I missed Ma- that Matt one. said he came from Philly. Oh, right. Was it was it Philly before or the fires? I think it was yeah. Philly. Yeah, before the fires. And also, and also, uh, Toby Maguire dies in prison. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, throat slit in a prison shower. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, also, I, uh, Richard Branson fed to his pigs on his private island, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Daniel Radcliffe poops his pants at the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a fun running joke where they would just throw in like future revelations of like things that have happened. I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, See, Tom, I know you you did some stand-up comedy for a while, right? What did you think of the hapless stand-up <laughs> comedian character? Oh yeah, he made me he made me sweat, but uh but but in a good way. Like I, I thought, you know, I was always like, oh, this poor guy, but I thought he was actually pretty funny. Like I thought most of his lines were actually fairly clever, but I also thought it was clever that he was just kind of kind of just completely like apathetic. Like he he's just trying to deliver these lines and he knows that nobody's going to think it's funny and he doesn't, he almost doesn't care. He's just like foregone conclusion. Nobody likes me, which I thought was really funny. I thought his, uh, his argument with the set guy where he's like, he's yeah, like, yeah. hello, is this thing on? And they're like, yes, it's on. And he's like, no, I, I get it. That's a joke. Like you just say, is this thing on? Because nobody's laughing. And the guy's like, I don't get it. And then he keeps doing it. And the guy keeps saying, it's on. And, uh, no, I don't, I, I don't know that actor, but I, I was assuming he's a real stand-up comedian because, like, the way he does the non-funny comedy is really, really funny. <laughs> exactly. Like, I, I, yeah. Yeah, you got to yeah. be next level to be a comedian playing a comedian doing humor that's not funny but make it funny. Like that's that's like some Inception level humor shit. That yeah, yeah good point. Yeah. Well, yeah. So and there's a bunch of I think there's a couple characters that we haven't mentioned yet. So um, we've got Karen, uh, we've got Spike. I guess I did mention Neelix, hmm. but we haven't said anything more about him. Uh, Mads, uh, Cyrus. So these are, so let's see. So Cyrus is like the weird engineer down in the secret control room. Oh, yeah. Mads is the very good looking Swedish uh, model on the bridge. Uh, Spike is like a former astronaut who thinks that everyone is really impressed by the fact <laughs> that he was the 30th person to orbit Mars, but nobody really is. Um, and Karen is sort of a, uh, Karen, uh, a woman, yeah, <laughs> is Karen. a woman who's sort of like, is sort of a bossy, uh, customer who sort of becomes the first, the leader of the, um, the passenger revolt and then is kind of co-opted into the system. Um, but so, uh, so, so John, do you have any thoughts about any of those yeah. characters or if you can yeah. think of any other, other characters that we haven't mentioned yet? Uh, well, I mean, poor Ethan Phillips, who plays uh, Spike uh, and played Neelix, he, he keeps getting cast as a guy that's stuck on a spaceship uh, that doesn't have any chance of returning home. Or, else, <laughs> or if it does, then the show ends. Uh, you know, so it, it's like, that's got to suck. Um, but at least he doesn't have to sit through uh, eight hours of makeup every time uh, for this show. But um, there's also the 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 quarreling couple, you know, the, uh, you, oh, mentioned, yeah, yeah. you mentioned the husband earlier uh, at the, with the captain's dinner, uh, who was making the snarky comments. Yeah. It's like um, Doug and Doug, Mia, right? right. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't remember the woman's name, but yeah. Um, and, and, and they're, they're pretty funny. Um, but um, let's see. Uh, 
Well, actually, let yeah. me just say about that because I, I, I found them really uncomfortable at first. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that um, sort of quarreling married couples is sort of a staple of comedy, but mm-hmm. I usually find it pretty uncomfortable to watch. I sort of like got used to them after a while. But the one part that made me laugh is, uh, you know, Mia's about to go out the airlock with uh, some of the other passengers in episode eight mm-hmm. and then doesn't. <laughs> and then Doug says, um, you know, they're, they're sort of like having a little reunion. And, and Doug says, um, you know, like, I don't want to live my life without you or something. And she's like, oh, here you have to go and make it all about you again. <laughs> right. That, that made me laugh. But um, I don't know. Does anyone else share my discomfort with <laughs> quarreling married couples in comedy? I don't know that that's a general issue of mine, but I, I sure didn't like this one. <laughs> I, I found them one of the most grating storylines. Um, mm-hmm. I think in part... Th- there were moments where I liked it. Um, I, I quite liked the scene where they're kind of in therapy with Matt. Um, I thought some parts of that were quite funny. Um, and, and Matt says something, he, he has a, one of, one of his funnier lines there where he says something to the effect of um, we're, this is a safe space, except, you know, except for the fact that we're in terrible physical danger. Or something like this. <laughs> um, but just there, there's a lot to be said for the delivery of, of Zach Woods for, for, for lines like that. Um, but so I, I liked that scene, but I found a lot of, a lot of that storyline just grating. Um, and I, I didn't particularly care for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're probably, they're probably my least favorite, uh, you know, characters on the show. Uh, but, um, um but yeah, I, I also, I also really don't like Spike's character. I think Spike that, that character has so much potential. Um, and, and there's, there's, you know, all, all credit to Ethan Phillips. He's doing what he can there, but I think that that character, there's, there's a lot of put, unexploited potential in, in the premise of that character. Um, and having him just be like the cheesy guy with the ponytail is a waste. Um, so I, I'd like to see more out of that. I, I, I think it would be actually a source of, of really good humor if he actually did have a clue about space. It's still not really clear to me whether he does or doesn't. There are some moments where it seems like he does and other moments where it seems like he doesn't. Um, but, but having somebody who is, you know, like the, the, the constantly overlooked solution to all their problems would, would actually kind of, I think be, be funny. So I w- would have liked to see more of that. Um, personally, like of the secondary characters. Um, but I, I had a, a lot of time for Karen. I particularly had a lot of time for the costume designer for Karen. Um, <laughs> if anyone's planning to do a rewatch, I think that like the, the range of like uh, leisure suits that they put <laughs> her in is just so amazing. Like if you've ever spent any time in retirement communities in Phoenix and Florida, places like that, you know what I'm talking about. It's really well done. <laughs> they made some excellent costume choices there, which I think really adds to the overall appeal of Karen. Actually, you know, one of the, because, you know, like I was, you know, I just watched the finale last night. And so this morning I was kind of going, you know, should the captain be the main character? Should Billy be the main mm-hmm. character? And one idea I had just before we started recording was like, wait, should Karen be the main character? Hmm. Because you kind of think about it, right? Like you're a passenger on this ship. And you find out that like the captain's incompetent and the engineer died and like everything's going to hell. And you like are uncovering all these mysteries, you know, Mm -hmm. you're sort of like proactive and you're uncovering all these mysteries. And then you have to like take matters into your own hands and um, Mm -hmm. like, you know, save the ship and tell people what's what. Like that could potentially she she could potentially be the most interesting character 
you know, in this sort of driving the story. Oh, she's um, a good one. Um, I, I still also really like Rav a lot. Um, I'm kind mm-hmm. of excited that she's on the ship now. I worry that that kind of takes away from part of what makes her work is, is you know, being the harried person on Earth. I think we might miss that character, like that role. Um, but I am excited at the prospect of seeing more of her because I, I really did like her. Um, I also have to say, I hope that they keep going with Mads. Mads is your like resident Wes Anderson character, which I think could be really, really good. <laughs> just when they're when they're looking for matt like in the dark tunnels and um and mads it's like it's me mads i'm the really good looking one the very well moisturized face yeah i don't know i, I thought there yeah were a lot yeah of funny, yeah yeah i thought there were a lot of funny lines <laughs> right. in this show but um tom do you have anything you want to say about any of those characters uh sort of secondary characters no not really i think you guys have covered it all, all right, uh, cool. well i, I was gonna I was going to say about the secondary characters, uh, uh, one we haven't mentioned is Frank, uh, which is Karen's husband, uh, who's just like oh, uh, yeah. a sort of a sort of uh, a nothing person. Like he doesn't have anything to contribute. He's he's he. I mean, basically, he holds Karen's purse, you know, um, and and like that's kind of his thing. Uh, but the, he gets sort of thrust into the limelight at one point when he's selected to be like the the every man who can who can push the button to do something but on the ship but it doesn't actually do anything but then when everything goes awry everyone blames him anyway yeah. and i thought i thought that was pretty funny how that was fun yeah yeah he he actually i think was at the center of one of the the bits that i really appreciated which was i thought pretty subtle by the show standards which was when he's going through his kind of identity crisis which i guess he kind of always is but there's one episode in particular that focuses on him not feeling like he has a purpose and Matt is doing his Matt thing where he's, you know, trying to, trying to be his life coach and, and encourage him to be whatever type of Frank he wants to be. Hmm. He's like, like, go wild, go crazy. What can you think of? And he says something like that he wants to be the kind of guy that wears a seashell on a leather thong around his neck. <laughs> and this is like the most rebellious thing he can think of. And I don't know if you noticed, but he spends the rest of the show with a seashell around his neck. <laughs> I, I just think is great. <laughs> that is it's very like subtle. He's living his best life because of the <laughs> seashell. Have any of you guys actually been on a cruise? I never have. I'm just wondering. I how have. Much of this is like a real is like a real cruise. I have, and I thought I thought they missed a lot of opportunities. I've never. I should say I've never been anyone who ever aspired to go on a cruise, but I've, <laughs> but I've been on two. And sometimes uh, the, these things just happen. Yeah, the first one I went on, I was 14. My brother was on the entertainment staff on the Queen Elizabeth II for two years. He he went around the world for two years on this giant cruise ship at the time the largest in the world and uh he got us free tickets my my parents and i we got free tickets so we were kind of like the uh uh karen was what's her name is it karen mia yeah mia the the one who's in the leisure suits i mean oh Oh, that's karen yeah karen because I, because so, Mia got the free tickets through her through her hookup with. Oh, the, pardon the me, you're right. right. I thought it was Karen. I thought it was Karen. Okay, okay. So, um, so anyway, we got free tickets and we got to go on and uh, and it was amazing and the food was just astounding. But there was some really bizarre, like, because I think this what this show does well is it just says, look, here's a bunch of people you don't like, you know, quote unquote rich people. You don't, you know, they're they're all irritating. They don't contribute anything to society. So let's put them all in a pressure cooker. And uh, see what happens. And I think that, that it does the show does very well at that. That is true to life where I can vividly remember being in an arcade on the Queen Elizabeth II playing free video games and being like, this is awesome. The video, there's a doorbell. Hmm. 
on each video game machine unit and you just press the doorbell and it racks up a credit. Hmm. So I was playing video games and loving it. And there's this little boy next to me and he's playing video games in a suit. And this <laughs> kid, these two kids run through the arcade chasing each other. And one of them bumps the little kid in the suit next to me with, with an elbow and barely touches the kid. I saw it out of the corner of my eye. And here I am, this 14-year-old kid. And I'm like, oh, they kind of bumped that kid. Well, the father of the kid in the suit bends down and grabs the child, one of the children who was running and starts shouting and says, my son is a child prodigy and he plays the violin in concerts around the world. And if you've damaged his arm, I'm going to sue your parents until there's nothing left. And he screamed this in this eight-year-old boy's face. And I just, that was an, it was an eye-opening moment for me. I was just like, who am I on this boat with? Hmm. Like, this is crazy that this guy just did this. And there were, you know, that was probably the craziest thing that happened on that ship. But the second cruise I went on was um, after my wife and I were married, just before we had kids, we were like, we're going to go on a, on a vacation. I'm more the type of, my wife and I both are more the type of people who will go, you know, like to Costa Rica and go whitewater rafting or kayaking, or, you know, I've been all over the Americas kayaking and lived in several different Latin American countries, uh, or at least been in several different Latin American countries for extended periods of time and lived in one of them and just kayaked all the time. And, but we went on this um, cruise instead because we were like, well, we don't have much time. We don't have much money. Let's just go on a cruise. That's the thing that people do. We're like, and some friends of ours were going and we we're like, all right, fine, we'll go. And it was bizarre. It was really bizarre. It's just like people with like extra money, but not that much time who are just like, let's just do this thing. And I thought they missed out on, they could have put in the show things like um, the the food on cruises is crazy. Like you'll have people who just sit there and I was one of them because I saw somebody else do it, but it'll just sit there and be like, bring me a lobster tail. And then they bring you a lobster tail and you're like, bring, <laughs> bring me another one. And they bring you another one. And you're like, bring me another one. And you're like, I've had eight lobster tails and you just keep ordering it. And then, and the waiters are like told, like, don't argue with the guests. If the guest says, bring me eight lobster tails, bring them eight lobster tails. And, uh, just really like crazy excess. And then the people working on the cruise ship who are from developing countries who are like, you know, just yes, try, trying to make tip like that. That was a huge missed opportunity. Maybe they'll pick it up in season two, like some dis disenfranchised people trying to make ends meet, just living a real life and trying to like smile in the face of these crazy, like rich people who are just basically, it's just, it's kind of a little bit disgusting. And then also the idea of like when you stop somewhere and you get off and you go around and you like visit things. And like, I was thinking, well, what else is going on in this future world they've created? Are there not like space stations somewhere or a moon where they're, you know, where they get out and like somebody gets abandoned? Cause that happens frequently on cruise ships. Somebody, somebody, <laughs> when you get off, they tell you, if you're not here by such and such a time, we'll leave without you. And they mean it. They mean it. <laughs> they, they'll leave without, they'll be like, well, sorry, bye. And they'll just leave and uh, leave you to figure out how am I going to get home now? And that would have been cool. That actually almost happened to me. We were swimming and I was uh, had a little bit of problem with when you swim as a man and then you walk, you get a little bit of a chafing problem. Sometimes we were walking for miles and I was, my wife was like, we have to run. And I was like, I can't run. 
I'm going as fast as I can. This is incredibly painful. <laughs> Tom, this and, is uh, funnier than anything we saw on Avenue <laughs> Well, I was thinking like it, this could like, you know, they could do like, stuff trying like to this. explain the nature of the chafing and why you can't <laughs> run. Yeah, well, they, they were actually pulling up the gangway when we got there. We could see them and I was like, I have to run now. And I'm running and there was somebody shouting off the edge of the ship. You selfish jerk. You You held up the whole ship. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry. And uh, just, I mean, they could go on cruise ship forums and read these stories because I'm sure there's lots of these forums where people talk about their and cruise. Not, and not just cruise ships. And this is the thing that I think you've really kind of helped me think through what, what one of my main uh, disappointments is, is there's so much comedy gold to be mined that wasn't. Um, and instead, we had a lot of very generic humor. Whereas I think, you know, one of the things that Veep did really well is exploit some of the eccentricities of of working in government and you know working in the mm, White House. Yes. And we didn't really get that with this. And it's you know not just cruise ships, but but um, all inclusive things public. in general. Where yeah. where is the person who's in charge of doing the ridiculous activities that keep people happy? You know them. If you've yep. ever been on spring break at an all-inclusive, you've seen the overworked person in the hot pants trying to get you to go into the whatever stupid yeah. uh, inflatable ring and punch each other or get up on the on the sort of off-brand bungee jump or whatever. Yeah, Julie um, like, from the There's love all boat. kinds of that. Yeah, I guess. I haven't seen the love boat, but, but that sounds about right. There's always somebody <laughs> no, who's in charge of, you know, like <laughs> a, a pumping up the crowd. I think that could be really funny. Another thing you see a lot, particularly in the developing world, is the, the nanny situation where you've got these rich parents who've come there precisely because what they want to do is foist their kids on somebody else and have their kids looked after by, you know, some some harried nanny who doesn't know them at all and has a bunch of kids in their charge so that mom and dad can sit my ties by the pool um, and so you end up with this situation of all these hellion kids who are taking it. It's like having the substitute teacher, right? They don't know this nanny. This nanny doesn't really have any authorization to discipline them. And if they try to, they're going to catch hell from the parents. Anyway, yeah, there's, I, I there's agree. all sorts of, of, of idiosyncrasies that go along with this type of environment that would make for some really, I think, some really good humor, especially if you add that space element. So I, I love your idea of the stop-offs. Like, where's your intergalactic trinket shops? Right, and right, and, al and also, and also, the um, it's very common to have norovirus on board cruise ships. So it's this awesome, <laughs> you know, all expenses paid, all you can eat. You're just like pigging out and drinking all this alcohol, and then, but then all of a sudden, like everybody on this on the ship is sick because they they cannot get norovirus out of the cruise ship. So that would have been fun to play space with. Space kind of pirates. Like, yeah, I was just gonna say the space herpy from space pirates. Yeah. Oh, you were talking about actual space <laughs> pirates attacking the cruise actual ship. Actual yeah. space pirates. Yeah, Pirates that would have been thing. that would have been fun, and also just the whole general Caddyshack ethos of like, you know how Caddyshack was just about. It was basically written, I think, by people who had been caddies who were like, these rich people are crazy, and we have to work for them, and like, um, you know, anybody who's worked at a ski resort, like the 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 uh, Caddyshack of snow sports is called Out Cold. Actually, a guy that. Went to Colby College with me, uh, Dave. You went to Colby as well, but this guy was actually in my classes, and he made this movie called Out Cold, which is really funny. But it's from that point of view of where the people who work behind the scenes at the resort, and um, I feel like that should, yeah, that should have been more of a focus, more of like here's what normal people feel like 
when they're working in these menial jobs, looking at these crazy rich people um, and, and all the excess and nuttiness that they're getting up to. See, John, did you, I, I didn't hear, did you ever go on a cruise? Uh, I have not. Um, the closest I ever got was uh, the Stoker Awards were uh, held on the Queen Mary one year, uh, but it was parked in dock because it's just like a permanent thing now. <laughs> uh, but it's like so it was basically it got turned into a very shitty hotel um, because, <laughs> you know, when it's a cruise ship, it's like it's well, it's kind of fancy. You know, you're on a cruise and you're sailing around and stuff. And it's like when it's just parked in the dock, it's like, OK, well. These rooms are all really shitty, though, um, and and it's also really old. So, um, but it, it was fine. But uh, but no, no cruise for me. Um, I actually get horribly seasick, so uh, just as well. I guess Tom, when we were talking about um, sort of uh, you know talking about this panel, you said that there's this book, Starship Titanic, uh, which is actually it's based on a computer game that Douglas Adams designs, and you said there was a novelization that was originally by Robert Sheckley, and then they. I forget, they hired someone else to do it ultimately. Yeah, so Robert Sheckley in his later years, he turned in a lot of sort of, uh, you know, he, he was very funny at short science fiction. And then when it got when it came to books, he did some really cool books early on. And then when he got older, he did some kind of so-so books. And I think this was probably one of them. They hired him to do the novelization of Douglas Adams' video game. After, I think it was after Douglas Adams died. And he wrote it. And then, and I used to correspond with Robert Sheckley. He's very funny. If you haven't read his short stories, I highly, highly, highly recommend them. But he wrote it and then they tanked it. They said, no, we're not going to, we're not going to do it. And he was telling me about this when we were emailing back and forth. He's like, yeah, I don't know whatever happened to it. So I started Googling it and I found a copy of it by him. He was like, yeah, Terry Jones ended up writing it. He wrote it and they released it under his, they released his version. And so I started Googling it and I actually, at some like, obscure online bookstore, I found a copy of it that said it was by Robert Sheckley. And like an idiot, I emailed the guy who owned the bookstore and I said, hey, if that's true, that's a really rare book. Can I buy it? And hmm. uh, and it disappeared off the site like that day. And, and the guy never answered <laughs> oh, any of my emails after that. I was like, hey, well, you know, I was checking back on this and he never answered me again. So I was like, okay, oh, well. Um, and Robert Sheckley was like, oh, if you get a hold of a copy of it, I'd love to hear about it. I, I'd like to, you know, maybe send me it. I'd love to read it <laughs> to see how it came out. But uh, yeah, so so it was like ironic to me because, you know, here the Titanic was something that they said was unsinkable and then it sunk. And then Douglas Adams made this game about it that was supposed to be awesome because he's Douglas Adams. And then that vanished. And then the two books written about it also vanished. So how how does it compare to Avenue 5? Like, is it, I don't know, just how do, how, how, do you remember the story well enough to say like, to compare and contrast them? Well, no, I've never read it because it just vanished. The whole thing like collapsed into under its own weight. Um, it's, it's, I think there's a couple of copies of the Terry Jones version out there, but I've never read it. But I did watch a Twitch stream of the video game Starship Titanic, oh. which is where it started. And the, the video game got really bad reviews and it, it doesn't look anything like Starship, uh, like Avenue 5. It's more like you're this lone person who's on this cruise ship in space who all the passengers are gone and all that's left is robots and you're trying to solve the mystery of what happened and it's very ponderous it's very cool for like a 1990s video game um the graphics are amazing but i think uh yeah i don't think it was anything anything major um see john did you have something you, you wanted to say earlier 
Oh, I was going to say about the all-inclusive stuff, um, which I, I hadn't really been thinking about when I watched the show because, you know, I'd never been on a cruise. But um, th- I started to think about uh, the scene um, after um, after the captain gets fired uh, or quits or whatever it was. He gets removed from his position as captain temporarily. Uh, and he's, he's going to the buffet and then he's like going to pay and like his little uh, wrist computer thing, it, it like won't let him pay. And... So I I mean it was like kind of funny in the moment but then thinking about it in terms of like like what you guys were just saying it's like well I mean it really kind of seems like this would be an all inclusive sort of experience you would think like rather than nickel and diming uh the passengers of on this you know who are all rich like you think that it, it would have just been an all inclusive experience so that I guess that was kind of strange but you know. You're saying they wouldn't have even had to show any right. ID or anything to get food, yeah? Right, yeah. I mean, if you're on the ship, you can, you know, eat whatever you want, you know? Uh, but, yeah. Maybe they uh, maybe they yeah, have, maybe, like... Maybe, a, maybe they should have spent less time at JPO and more time on cruise ships. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the science, the science doesn't actually need to work in this at all. Right is is the irony of it, right? Like it doesn't it doesn't need to make sense. I I don't need to be convinced that uh you know that feces are the best way of of refracting radiation. Um, I actually thought that was uh, bullshit, no pun intended, <laughs> um, but slightly intended. But you know it it doesn't matter. I that stuff it doesn't matter at all. But but yeah, I, I do think you, you know, and I just I'm sitting here thinking of like all the different directions you could take it. You could have the school field trip on it. You could have the people who won, you know, the the sort of like okay. So one of the stupidest things that ever happened to me was one time I accidentally I don't know how got upgraded to first class um, on Qatar Airways, not business class, but first class. So I had a cabin and the whole hmm. thing, and I don't know how it happened, but of course. <laughs> just the way life works, I end up doing this stupid thing where I get my iPod, this was back in the days of iPods, somehow stuck in the mechanism of my of my flatbed between that and like my, my private mini bar or whatever. So I try to extract it. And to make a long story short, I get completely stuck, like literally yeah. inverted <laughs> feet in the air, hands jammed down in the mechanism. So that the flight attendants walking by can just see my feet sticking out because there's like a gap so they can kind of see what's going on in the cabin. Like my feet sticking in the air and this, are you okay, mom? And I'm thinking (laughs) everyone on this plane is going, that's definitely the upgrade. Like the one charity upgrade they do for whatever rando uh, economy class passenger. Anyway, something like that, like where you have people who are upgraded into this experience who don't belong there. Um, you know, there's just all sorts of potential for it. And so I do think, you know, to go back to what I said right at the beginning, despite all of the problems that I had with this, I think the premise is rich enough, the cast is talented enough that, and, and, and the writing has enough potential that once they find their rhythm, I think, I think there's a good show in here, a really good show in here. I haven't seen it yet, but I think it's hmm. there. Yeah, I just want to say about the the other science thing I liked was how they actually had the communications delay where, mm-hmm. you know, most a lot of science fiction or or just shows ignore that and it actually they have like a 30 or 40 second delay when they're trying to talk to people between Earth and the ship and that creates a lot of humor. Actually the uh showrunner said it would realistically to Saturn would be more like a 5 or 6 minute delay, but they they cut it down to 
30 seconds to, you know, so it was, it was funny, but not, not too ridiculous. Um, but no, I totally, I mean, yeah, I, I think I totally agree with you, Aaron, that, yeah, like the, the humor works really well and the cast is fantastic and you have all, all these great comedic actors. And um, I just feel like it just needs, I think you said like, it's, it's sort of only operating at one register, really. It's just sort of the absurd humor and it just needs like, yeah, like more, you know, more uh, colors, you know, like a, in the palette, you know, more, yeah, more texture, um, more drama, more mystery, more like whatever and not a ton but just enough so that it's not just it doesn't feel like sort of so samey um episode after episode yeah um i mean because i think this style of humor is like fine for a you know for a, a feature like a 90 minute feature film or something but when it's you know nine episodes i think you know uh you need a little bit more variety um but um i don't know we're, pre- we're pretty much out of time so we should probably start wrapping this up pretty soon um tom do you have any other um uh, anything else you wanted to bring up about the show? No, I just I just think it has I, I want to end on a positive here and just say it really has fantastic humor. I mean, so many great lines like uh, uh, and most of them I thought by a lot of them by Josh Gad, like uh, when somebody's like, do you want to limit the oxygen? And he's like, no, but look into it. <laughs> but no. But yeah. do, but do. <laughs> and he keeps going on that, and then uh, you know the the skulls of all four beetles, but one of them is actually one of the monkeys because he couldn't <laughs> get that one. And then, uh, and then at the funeral for the captain, when I can't remember who says it, I think it might be Matt, but he's like, "There was no one like you, Joe, and now there definitely isn't." <laughs> and, uh, it was just that was all from episode two, I think. But there's so many funny lines in this uh, in this series, and I, that my hat is off to the to the great comedic minds behind the scripts. Yeah. Um, so John, what do you think about this whole conversation we've had? Is this sort of what you were expecting or? Oh uh, yeah. Any- I mean, I, I wasn't sure. Uh, you know, I knew based on the fact that I had seen a lot of uh, negative reviews and stuff that um, there was a fair chance that not everybody on the panel was going to love it. Um, and that's not always, that's usually not my favorite, uh, you know, panel to walk into where it's like, Oh, I love the show. And then everybody else is like, ah, this was a piece of shit. Like what the, what is wrong with you? I, I don't particularly enjoy like, like defending a, a show that I liked, uh, you know, or whatever. But, um, but then, I mean, but this was, this was, this was better than uh, I was actually expecting. I, I figured somebody would like dislike it uh, much more vehemently than uh, anyone here did. Uh, and it seems like everybody generally liked it. Um, but uh, maybe maybe not you know clearly nobody liked it i don't think anybody liked it as much as i did um but um but yeah i mean it is what it is uh for what it's worth everyone listening you know i'll, I'll just reiterate uh how much i like the show um you know i'd watched it like i said when it first aired and then uh christy and i rewatched it all leading up to this and uh yeah i mean you know every episode we watched, we just like wanted to watch the next one. And, and it was like only because it's like, Oh, it's too late. We have to go to bed, uh, that, that we were stopping. So, um, yeah, it really worked for me. And, yeah, so, uh, so, so bottom line, uh, people on this panel were nicer than, or not <laughs> as nice as you, but nicer than people on Twitter. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's going to be on my headstone. Nicer than people <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> uh, Aaron, final thoughts. How do you feel about, feel about the show after all this conversation we've had? I mean, yeah, I think, like I said, I have, I have mixed feelings about it, but I, I overall, I was pleased to see that it's been renewed for season two, because I do think it, um, it has, 
a lot of potential and it deserves the chance to prove itself. I'm on, I'm in the camp that thinks that there's, there's more work to be done there, but I definitely coming out of it with, you know, even with all the, the quibbles that I had, I will definitely tune into season two. Yeah, I mean, and and like I said, I thought it got better as it went. So if you, you know, if you want to give, and I, and I always feel like there should be more science fiction humor, and I'm always happy to like, you know, give you know, give the benefit of, of the doubt because there's just so so few shows that are good science fiction comedies. Um, but so yeah, if you give it a chance, and you know, the first couple episodes, you're kind of on the fence about. In my opinion, it does get better and better as it goes. And you know, like I said, the last two episodes, you know, really kind of you know had a big big impact on me. Um, so yeah, definitely curious to see where it goes in season two and, um, hopefully they can take the, the humor, like I said, and, um, and just, you know, have a little bit more of a story, um, than they had in season one. Um, all right. So cool. So why don't we uh, wrap things up there? So we've been speaking with John Joseph Adams, Aaron Lindsay, and Tom Grenzer. So thanks everyone so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Always good to be here. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to John Joseph Adams, Aaron Lindsay, and Tom Gerenser for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkertley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.